Got a nice hot cup of Boyer's Coffee sitting right next to me as we do the podcast today. And you can do the same throughout the day and you can have it delivered right to your home by simply going to boyerscoffee.com. Order right online. It'll be at your doorstep within 48 hours. That's what I always do. And they have a plethora of great flavors. And the coffee is always consistently great. And it's brewed right here at Altitude in the Rocky Mountains. It has been since 1965. They are a special group and they make special coffee. BoyersCoffee.com. Again, you'll find all of their wonderful flavors and uh, other knickknacks as we're in the holiday season. Perhaps you can uh, put something under someone else's tree from Boyers and make them happy as well. BoyersCoffee.com. Go check them out today. Hey, love telling you about SteelUSA.com. S-T-I-H-L. SteelUSA.com. SteelDealers.com. Their products are made in America and they're wonderful. They have a plethora of so many different products that help keep your house in tip-top shape. It's that simple. I have a number of them. I've been telling you about steel products for a number of years now. I love all the battery-powered stuff because I don't have to mess around with gasoline, don't have to mess around with a, with a power cord, and uh, you're going to be amazed at how not only long-lasting the batteries are, but also how powerful this stuff is. I'm talking about chainsaws, mowers, blowers, where you think, oh, you got to pour gasoline to get the same kind of power. No, you don't. You can do it with battery-operated steel products. So go online and and look through all of their different products, and you're going to find not just one, but you're going to find many that will help you out around the house. And of course, they have a dealer right around the corner from you because there's more than 10,000. SteelUSA, S-T-I-H-L.com or SteelDealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, talking World Cup and a new experience in sports for Drew Goodman. And I said, I got to hustle home to catch the soccer game. I have never uttered that phrase in my entire life. Also, part two of Drew's conversation with Alfred Williams as Big Al talks about life immediately after football. And I got to tell you, I had a panic attack that started then and it stayed with me for some 15 years. And I was just like, you know, fuck it. I'll just, whenever I feel like having a drink, I'll have it. Then radio. You know, radio kind of saved my life. You know, I never told the story before, but I think it kind of saved my life because I was going down dark, lonely path. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into show number 178. Hope you all had a great turkey day. I had a good turkey day. I didn't overdo it, man. Didn't didn't get stuffed to the gills. I've been a little more judicious about uh, how much I eat, but it was good. Didn't mess up the turkey too badly. Um, didn't mess up the accoutrements too badly. Told you my go-to thing is sweet potato and cranberry, a little butter on top. But it was good. Good to, good to be hanging out with my boys and played a little football earlier in the day, threw the rock around. It's a good day. Hope you all had a, a great one as well. Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic scores! All right, as we speak... Congrats to the U.S. men's national team as they get out of 
pool play and move on to the elimination round, the knockout round. They're now one of 16 teams in the World Cup still surviving. And they needed to beat Iran to move on. Now, I have some thoughts on this. I was riveted. I mean, I was saying things that I've never said before. Uh, I, I remember talking to somebody and I said, I got to hustle home to catch the soccer game. I have never uttered those words, that phrase, in my entire life. I have uttered many times, I got to hustle home to catch the football game. I got to hustle home to catch the avalanche play. I got to hustle home to catch the ball game. I have never in my life said I got to hustle home to catch the soccer game. But I said exactly that. And I said it probably a couple times uh, earlier when the U.S. was playing you know, against England, certainly, and in round one against Wales. I, I've watched every moment, every minute of the three matches so far. I've watched more soccer in the last week and a half than I have in my entire life, probably. I think in previous World Cups, I caught some action. Anyhow, so congratulations, first and foremost, to the United States. Moving on. They did what was necessary. They beat Iran. Some impressions about the game and the lead up to the game. This is one of the areas, and I don't want to fixate on the problems I have with soccer. I didn't grow up playing soccer. I didn't grow up as a, you know, a fan of soccer. I understand that the same things probably could be said from afar about baseball. Man, it moves slowly and nothing happens. And then, okay, somebody, you know, hit a ball over the fence and everybody stands up and cheers. And then, you know, another half hour goes by and, not, and nothing great happens to the maybe uneducated viewer or the new viewer to the sport. And that's why, you know, more or less, that's what I am. And I admit that I got my hand up. I get that. And I have great respect for all world-class athletes. And clearly, the way these guys handle the ball and the way they move it and they run, they're, they're phenomenal. I talked last week about, yeah, there's just not enough, you know, not just goals, but, but scoring, legitimate scoring opportunities. But what I'm going to pontificate on at the outset today for a moment, because I'm really excited about the U.S. moving on and getting ready to take on the Netherlands, is the fact that Iran going in was playing for a tie. A tie, as you know, meant that they were going to join England and come out of the, you know, pool play, as I call it, right? Where in sport do you have a situation where, hey, we're just trying to tie? I mean, isn't the essence of sport trying to win? We go out there and we try to win the game. You've heard that phrase before, right? Herm Edwards. So Iran wasn't trying to win. They were just trying to tie. Tie was like a win. I got a problem with that. Anyhow, moving on, the United States dominated the first half. Iran was more defensive in nature. Um, wonderful goal. Unbelievable goal. And then it looked like, I, I thought, I really thought, again, being a novice, but I thought, you know, Iran's now got to take some more chances. I thought the United States would be able to get a second goal, which would be like having a 42 to nothing lead in football, right? American football, I should say. And it looked like they got one, and but there was an offside call. So 
it was one nothing, and then you had to hold your breath down the stretch because Iran had a couple of really good chances. In fact, how about the ball trickling toward the net in like the 98th, 99th minute, and uh, Zimmerman cleared it. Uh, pretty wild stuff. I, I still go back to something I said last week. You, you never. It's not like the clock's going down. You just know that, generally speaking, there's not a lot of time left. But it's not definitive. Even the announcers don't even know. And then all of a sudden, the whistle blows, and the Americans can rejoice because they won. One other note: that, um, I thought the referee again. I, I don't know soccer, man, but I thought the referee did a great job. And here's why I say that. You have heard me get on the soapbox many times in the past, particularly in football. Let the players play. You could call holding on every play in the NFL. You could call pass interference on every pass play in the NFL and college football. Make sure it's egregious. Let the players play. And Again, as a complete novice, it seemed both ways that there were infractions that I saw called certainly in the in the Wales encounter with the United States where there was a number of yellow cards and it seemed like this guy, the official was calling everything. The particular ref in the game between the United States and Iran clearly did not. There were times where I was waiting for a whistle both ways, as I said. And one didn't occur. And that takes us to late in the game. They were already in uh, injury time. And there was that great opportunity for Iran. And there was some question, would a foul be called because the, the defensive guy, if you will, for the United States had his hand slightly on the shoulder of the attacking player for Iran? And I was so pleased that nothing was called naturally because it's like an automatic goal, pretty much. If you get a penalty kick there, they score 80-some-odd percent of the time. I mean, the goal's like the size of the Grand Canyon. I, I literally feel like from that distance, I could score. So fortunately, he didn't award the penalty kick because I didn't think it was an egregious foul. And it was consistent with how he had called the game uh, the whole way. So anyhow, the United States wins... And the United States moves on and, you know, hopefully they can find a way. They'll be an underdog, but hopefully they can find a way uh, to beat the Netherlands. Hey, one other note as well on the U.S. I was watching the pregame show and this Tyler Adams, young man who grew up about an hour north of where I'm from in New York. I grew up um, in Westchester County, in, you know, north of Manhattan and this kid's from basically Wappinger Falls, which is the Poughkeepsie area, Tyler Adams. So he's about yeah an hour and 45 or so north of, uh, of Midtown Manhattan. And what a great kid. What a leader. Young guy. He's playing for Arsenal. He's making big money now. But it's a, it's a great story. And I love the clip. I think you've probably seen this because it was all over social media when he was asked leading into the game against Iran by a member of the state-owned media for Iran. First of all, he was counseled that he and others were mispronouncing uh, the country's name. And then he went on to talk about, uh, you know, he about African-Americans' plight in the United States. And I thought Tyler Adams, I mean, for if he was 60, 
he handled that question beautifully and eloquently. But you're talking about a, a, a kid in his early 20s. And um, he, he, the first thing he said, if you missed it, he said, I, I, you know, I stand corrected. I'm paraphrasing now. Um, and thank you for educating me on the pr- correct pronunciation of your country. And then he had, um, you know, a, a well thought out response to the, uh, uh, the question from the reporter. Anyhow, I was really impressed with Tyler Adams, been impressed with the, uh, many of the guys that we've been able to hear about from, uh, from the United States men's national team. And, and good luck against the Netherlands, man. I will again be uttering those words. Hey, I got to hustle home to catch the soccer game. Moving on to the University of Colorado and their pursuit, as we speak, of Deion Sanders. What do I think of this? And touch on a little bit uh, last week, and you're going to hear what Alfred Williams thinks about it uh, in a short while. I'm, I'm excited on one level because Dion will bring a great deal of attention and positive attention to the Buffs football program, more so than at least off the top of my head, I can think any coach would in the country, really. I mean, he, he is that figure. I mean, if they hired the offensive coordinator from some Power 5 school or the defensive coordinator or some, uh, you know, regurgitated, uh, you know, coach, uh, or or I should say recycled coach, not regurgitated, recycled coach, eh, it's not going to have, it's not going to have the buzz. And they need buzz, man. They are so far down, I need not tell you. Now, having said that would be super exciting. The other side of that coin would be, why on earth would Deion Sanders take the CU job? He's at Jackson State. Personally, I assume Deion is pretty wealthy based on his playing career. He can sit back and wait, even if this cycle doesn't produce a job that is appealing enough, sexy enough for him to take. I think the Cincinnati job, again, as we talk, you know, with Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin, that's a, that's a more appealing job, especially now with the departure, the imminent departure of USC and UCLA from, from the Pac-12. And again, how down the program is at the University of Colorado. And it's not just this season, as you know. I mean, all Buffs fans know it's been, it's been ongoing for, for two decades So I don't know if Dion, you know, he's in the driver's seat. You know, in Colorado, just hoping, you know, once he gets through next Saturday, that he says, you know what, I'm willing to take a chance, and and you, you've made it appealing enough that I that I'm going to jump in. He may just sit back, and even if it's not Cincinnati, he may wait another year because you know jobs open, major college jobs are going to open. Now, typically, jobs open only when things are not going well. But things haven't gone well in so long for Colorado. And there were impediments to them truly getting better. And one of them has been their, it's not just their academic standards, but it seems like the hierarchy has made it difficult for transfers to go to the University of Colorado. And what I've heard from a couple of 
all Frazee's reliable sources is that the regents are pulling back. The, the hierarchy is pulling back and he's going to work with the football program, the, the, the athletic programs to level the playing field and make it much easier for transfers to come to Colorado, for credits to transfer. And that is, if I'm a coach, whether it's Deion Sanders or someone else, I need to have that commitment. And from what I've heard, again, from reliable sources, that is already taking place. And that is really important. Really important. Because talent ultimately wins. So that's kind of the update uh, on the University of Colorado. But uh, again, it, it's so far down and it's been down for so long. You, you start going, well, why would Deion Sanders, we all want him to come, or I, I think most of us would want him to come, who root for, for Colorado and want to see them not only relevant again, but good again. Uh, the other side, man, the devil's advocate side says, well, why would he come? Why would he come? But hopefully Colorado is persuasive enough and next week when we're chatting, we're talking about Prime being in Boulder. If not, they have to move on. I know they have a plan B. You have to have a plan B because you can't keep waiting much further into December. And Jackson State plays on Saturday. And after that, I mean, they got they got to have an answer up in Boulder. Staying in football for a moment, we will not dwell on the Broncos. I mean, they're an absolute train wreck. They become a, they become a national uh you know, laughing stock nationally, not just, you know, another team not having a good year based on the expectations, based on the play, uh, whether it's Nathaniel Hackett or Russell Wilson or the combination thereof, they have become, you know, I watch ESPN most mornings. I watch first take. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Stephen A. It's funny. <laughs> I laugh at so many of the things that go on there. Anyhow, they just get trashed nationally and understandably. I mean, they couldn't score 20 points on an empty field right now. If they're running a pass skeleton, you wonder if they can get in the end zone consistently. It's that bad. And I'm not going to sit here and, and you know talk about blame here, blame there. We've you, you, you had it ad nauseum, I'm sure. The one point I wanted to make, with Mike Purcell coming off the field and, and getting in the face momentarily of Russell Wilson, who is still, even though he has had a poor year, he's a future Hall of Famer in all likelihood. A couple Super Bowls, one championship, should have won another one. Uh, you know, 10 really good years in Seattle. And hopefully he's able to turn it around in future seasons here in Colorado. Everybody's got their fingers crossed on that one. Mike Purcell's frustrated, competitor. We see arguments on football sidelines all the time. You have highly competitive people in a violent atmosphere. That's what football is. I mean, it's controlled violence. And so the intensity is extremely high. So you've seen players lose their shit and, and argue with one another sometimes even with coaches. But you know what I haven't seen? 
And so I don't want to make too big a deal about it, is that's why I'm saying this. But what I haven't seen, unless I'm not remembering accurately, do you remember a player ever getting in Tom Brady's face on the sideline? I've seen Tom Brady get in his lineman's face. Have you ever seen anybody get in Aaron Rodgers' face? I've never seen that. And the fact that, and maybe this is just isolated, and I'm not in that locker room. I don't know. I don't play for the Broncos. But I thought it was, it made me pause for a second because usually I just like, you know, it's a highly competitive atmosphere and I, and I just discard stuff that happens. I don't make a bigger deal about it as we all do now, especially on social media. But it did make me think that, man, you don't see that happen with iconic quarterbacks. Where some Did anybody get in Peyton Manning's face out here? And I'm sure Peyton Manning could grade on teammates who's demanding as he was. Just didn't see it. And that's why that, that you know, one moment there with Russell Wilson was, you know, isolated, yes. But it did make me pause for a moment as I reflect on it. I also was, I don't want to say surprised, but I wouldn't have been surprised, nor would have you, if Monday you woke up and across your phone you saw the headline that Nathaniel Hackett was dismissed as head coach of the Broncos because it's been that bad. And again, on one hand, you say, well, what difference does that make if you have an interim coach for the final half dozen games? Not a, not a big difference, so, uh, other than it just lets people in the industry know, hey, there's going to be a job opening. But perhaps this new ownership group isn't completely thrilled or enamored with the decisions by the GM, George Payton. And maybe they say, well, I don't want to leave it to George Payton to hire the next coach because this hasn't worked out well with Nathaniel Hackett. And so we're just going to wait till the end of the year and we're going to truly clean house. It will be fascinating to watch, not so much the last six weeks, because that's going to be more of what we've watched, but what will happen in the immediate aftermath of uh, the final week of this lost season for the Denver Broncos. All right, on to Alfred Williams part two. Everybody loves Big Al. Gregarious, fun-loving, terrific on the radio, astute, great guy to be around. This week, you're going to see a part of Alfred that you probably have never seen before. He talks about, very candidly, how radio, and I'm using his words, saved his life. And in addition, he's going to talk about uh, his beloved alma mater and more on what they can do moving forward and touch on the train wreck that is the Denver Broncos. Part two of my conversation with Big Al right now. All right, we're talking about your alma mater. I know how important CU is to you. Why can't, is it that they can't get it right from a head coaching standpoint, or does this have zero to do with the head coach and everything to do with what does the institution want their football program to be? I think I think you have to start with um, you have to start with I think the president's role and uh, uh, Phil DeStefano's role as the uh, uh, president of the uh, CU campus. Uh, is it proper chancellor? Chancellor of the, yeah, uh, chan- chancellor. Chancellor yeah. of the CU Boulder campus, and. Um, and then you you go from there. It, it's what he wants. You know, I think that when Gordon Gee was at the University of Colorado, um, you know, it was 
really about athletic success and academic success combined. But uh, he was able to find ways to, you know, level the playing fields, whether it's by making sure we had the best equipment or maybe the, that that there was some players, you know, like Sal and Essie was a Prop 48 guy, you know, uh, Oakland Salavia, Prop 48 guy, you know, um, and J.J. Planning, Prop 48 guy. So when you start talking about would that be allowed in today's culture at the University of Colorado, I don't know. Uh, and I think that that's, that's where, you know, you – you may have to come back to the pack, you know, and I know it's a prestigious university. Um, and certainly I do believe that, you know, now that the testing isn't as stringent as it was for, uh, for entry into the university as it was, uh, some time ago, that maybe you can allow for more now that ACTs and SATs aren't as heavily considered, um, in, in the application process. But the transport portal has, you know, I've heard some, some uh, some belly moaning about not being able to get in the kind of guys that they want to get in, and that that's a that's a barrier that can only come from up top. That that's got to come from the that's got to come from the president's office, and the uh, board of regents has to be okay with it. And the University of Colorado just just they have to come back to the pack. You just we're we're not receiving the academic All-Americans and football All-Americans at this stage. And I think you maybe have to go back to just, you know, hoping for an All-American and then getting back to the academic All-Americans. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point, and I think you're aware of this, Al. Outside of Stanford and Cal, the University of Colorado has had the fewest players um, the last two years through the transfer portal become buffs. And... A lot of people are saying it's because, you know, the academic requirements and, and transferring credits is more difficult. And I understand I'm all about, I mean, Colorado's a great, you know, tremendous school. But I used to say, listen, it ain't Stanford and it ain't, it, it, and it's not Northwestern. And if you look at the heavyweights in college football now, it starts at Alabama and, you know, Clemson and you even go to like a Penn State, which is, you know, clearly way above where Colorado is. And, and these are all good schools and their admission um, applications have gone up exponentially. And a lot of it's tied to the success of the football program. And it just seems like there's a uh, a disconnect between administration and desire to play truly with the big boys. Yeah, I, I mean, the NCAA puts their standards out there. If a guy qualifies through the NCAA standards, why do you make him go beyond that? You know, that's that's the question. I mean, what's what's the correlation there? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. If you qualify to go to school at Nebraska or Oklahoma or – uh, Iowa State or Miami, why don't you qualify at the University of Colorado? There's a universal set of standards. Why can't you use them? Yeah, uh, fair. Now, from a head coaching standpoint, there's a rumor out there, and I, I'm sure you're following this a little bit. There's always rumor, especially now in this day and age of social media. Deion Sanders, huge name, success at an HBCU in Jackson State, charismatic guy. I mean, his charisma's off the charts. That, to me, on paper, would get me really excited. 
What do you think about that? And I have no idea because they're close to the vest right now with, with their whole coaching search. But Deion Sanders, University of Colorado, what say you? You know, I, I like anything that gets the uh, university the, the attention that it deserves and, and the kind of return to glory uh, that it once uh, enjoyed. But um, Deion Sanders is uh, is is uh, I told one of my buddies this morning, you know, is is the perfect guy to rebuild the program. You know, and I know Dion is there for a, a good time. And it's going to be good for the football team. I just don't know if he's there for the long time, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, uh, he's, he's, I think, a couple years older than me. That puts him at 56. I mean, how, how long are we talking about Dion staying in Boulder, Colorado? If it's five or six years, that would be great. I'll take five or six years out of Dion Sanders right now. But um, it, it, this, this feels like a move that uh, if it does happen, I'm going to be behind the program no matter what wherever they choose as the next head coach, no matter what. But I think that he gives us the shot in the arm. The, 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 the question is, what happens when Coach Prime retires? And do you have to start over as a Mel Tucker kind of deal where you're searching for the next guy? You know, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a tough look in the mirror about who you want to be as a university. And, and uh, if, if, this, if you think this gets you jump-started and, and back on the map, um, then go for it. If you think there's a more prudent way to go about it um, and there may be other candidates that you are considering to build the program around, then you, you have to go for that as well. But I, this is what I do know. I, be, I think that this is Rick George as an athletic director, his last hire as a head coach. So I don't know how would you go about it? Uh, you know what? Here's here's the thing, and there's so many other factors because there's NIL now, which God knows what you would have made if you were in college. I'm sure your brain, by the way, has gone there a couple of times. Right. On the NFL side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, no, but, but Al, if I'm sitting there in Rick George's seat, and, and I'm thinking about what a 17-, 18-year-old kids think about. With all due respect to Carl Durrell, with all due respect to, you know, Callahan, with all due respect to some of the guys that, you know, have held that position in Boulder. I'm sure all fine coaches and all fine men, right? Dion, every 17-, 18-year-old kid still knows who primetime is. So yeah. from a recruiting standpoint, that's a huge leg up, in my opinion. And... The sport will always be about. We can talk about coaching, and you you know a ton about it more than more than anybody just about out there. But Al, if you don't have the Jimmies and Joes, as the line goes, it doesn't matter how you X and O. And and so you got to have kids. And and prime time, I would think on paper is going to give you a better chance at getting elite kids than most other coaches. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, he jump starts your program and he delivers the goods in, in that department. Uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I think that the University of Colorado, uh, is a special place. It, it, you just need to be there for a little while to know that it's, it's different than most other places in the country. And I've, I've been all over this, this beautiful country of ours and it's just, it's a unique setting and it's, um, it's a place where you can become whoever you would like to be. You know, I mean, you you can be a clay man in in, in Boulder, Colorado, and and you'll get what you want. You know, but 
Um, you you need to find good football players to win big football games, and you got to be able to assure them. First of all, when I find them, I can get them in. That's 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 number one. If I find a good football player and he meets all the college uh, eligibility, you got to give me the green light to get him in. Not 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 go be your you know if if the GPA has to be for college football admissions to Division One schools, let's call it two five, and you have to have uh, on the ACT, uh, let's say that you have to have sixteen or seventeen, whatever that is, you got to allow that student to get in. And if you're not going to allow that student to get in, then no matter how good the athlete is, if he doesn't meet the grade requirements he's not going to be able to participate at the University of Colorado. That doesn't mean that you're talking about an inferior student. It just may have been taught to him differently than it has been for some others. So, uh, you know, just taking it from a guy who uh, I don't know if I could have got in on their standards uh, from, you know, somewhere around, you know, five or six years ago because they, they were stringent and, I don't know. I would have been at maybe uh, maybe I would have been at USC or, or Oklahoma or somewhere else. But I, I just wanted a beautiful place to go to school. And once you see that, you cannot tempt somebody with your eyes and then turn them away uh, when they when they get worked up to come to University of Colorado because of the academic standards are, are you know are higher than every place else. Yeah, uh, I. Uh, you have to, at the end of the day, determine as a university truly what you want that program to be. And, you know, if you want it to be elite, I mean, back to where it was when you were there and in the 90s, I mean, truly play at that level. Or if you just want it to be a gathering on Saturday and if you, you know, if a good year is winning six, seven games and, and going to a, you know, a, a, I like to say a who gives a damn bowl game. OK, then that's fine. But if you want to get back to where you're truly competing with the USC's and the and, and the, the heavyweights in college football, uh, and I think both can be done. We see it done at other prestigious academic universities like Michigan, Ohio State, USC. I mean, we can go on and on. These are all good schools. So I, mean, I think it can be done, Al. And, and I'd like to see something's got to jumpstart because I, I will say this, and I'll include Colorado State in this right now. I am shocked with how poor those programs are right now. It's shocking. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, can't, I, I can't even imagine um, the University of Colorado like this. The last game I played in was a national championship game where we won. So that's how I left the program. So I, to, to, to see it where it is now is uh, it's, it's, uh, it's disappointing for all the kids that have had a chance to play there that didn't have the kind of success that I had. You know, it's, it, it, you would think that that, you know, that we would have sparked something that would have lasted a long time. It just, you know, it just, it didn't, man. You know, Bill McCartney retired, and and that was it. That was it, man. You know, we had, we, you know, the '94 team was a really good team, and then 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 you know, you just have to, you know, piece it together. You know, Coach Barnett had a couple good years in there, but. Other than that, man, it's just been it's, it's been it's been pretty bad. It's been pretty bad, and I and I wish that all the student athletes who play football would have had the same kind of success that I had. So how many times you and your partner Dave Logan look at each other uh, on Monday and go, "What on earth is going on up there?" We stopped talking about it. 
because what happens is we both get upset and it kind of leaks onto the radio and then you know it's no good you know you know you know we can talk about it but we're not going to we're we're not going to beat them up on air uh so we choose <laughs> to to you know take the high road take the high road man we'll take the high road all the time but um we just say did you see the game yep yep did you see it yep okay <laughs> and and that and that's pretty much it because Dave Logan loves the University of Colorado. He loves the University of Colorado, and so do I. So it's always personal. It really is personal. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And I've had enough conversations with both of you over the years. I mean, it 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 hurts. And I've I've I went up a couple of weeks ago, and I I watched the first three quarters of the Oregon game, and I'm like, wow. I mean, they played hard. I mean, I'll say this: the kids play hard, for what yeah. that's worth. But it's frustrating. How about how frustrating has it been for you every day, though? Because whether forget talking about college football locally, the Broncos. I I didn't I didn't think they were going to be a Super Bowl contender, but I thought they were going to be a ten win football team, and I thought that there was going to be a lot of positives. Um, are you tired of talking about the same narrative every week? Every week they find a new way to disappoint me. It seems. Um... And two losses to the Raiders. The Raiders have three wins. <laughs> they beat the Broncos twice. Um, we account for 66% of their wins of the, on the year. Um, not acceptable. Not acceptable at home. Not against that opponent. Uh, not with the quarterback that we have. And I, I do believe in that guy. I think that he is a special football player. And I think that early on, I think he got what he wanted, and that was to throw the ball all around the yard. And now we know that's not the formula. That's not uh, that's not the winning formula with Russell Wilson. It, it, it produces a losing record if you let him do that. Is there, um, Al, something that you've seen from afar with Nathaniel Hackett, who by all appearances seems like a you know a good guy, somebody you probably want to play for? I mean, he seems like positive, upbeat. You know, innovative. We know what the record is. Is there something that you saw from afar that you say this is a red flag, or is it just really come down to the fact that you know the offense hasn't done much and they have a they have a shitty record? Well, I'll tell you the thing that that I saw early on was, and I said it soon as soon as it was reported, Russell Wilson has an office on the second floor next to the coaches, which kind of removes him from the rest of the team. And he has a, his own staff up in that area, which, once again, is not good. It's, 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 it's not good. And you've been around superstar athletes your entire life, and you've seen the really, really good ones, and you've seen the great ones. The ones that isolate themselves from the rest of the team, for some reason, man, that they think that they're better than the moment, it ends up never really working. It just never really works. You know, either you're part of the team or you're not, man. And, you know, given that provision, uh, giving Russell Wilson that provision to have his own office on the second floor next to the coaches was a red flag from the beginning. Because I said it then and I'll say it now. What happens when they start losing? What happens if – the head coach gets fired. Does the next coach come in and have to tell Russell he got to go back downstairs? <laughs> you know, this is reserved for just the coaches up here. Just, just think about that. You know, 
you know, you got you got a guy who is the starting quarterback of your team who has his own office, and I know he likes to do his, his work and, and make sure the film study is good, but why can't you do that in the quarterback room? You're the quarterback. You know, do that work in the quarterback room. You know, why do you have to have your own office there? It's just, yeah. it, it's not, it's not good, man. It's just not good. The next, whoever, whoever the next coach is, and I do believe there'll be a next coach if they don't win seven to eight games. If, if, if whoever the next coach is, they won't allow it. Yeah, I, it does seem peculiar. I mean, at some point in time, the other fifty-two guys in that room can't look. They understand who the quarterback is. They understand who big money guys are. It's. I mean, you played with one. You played with Elway, and. It, it, they're just, it, it can't be that kind of separation is what you're saying. No, no, no. It's just, you know, it's elitism, and elitism doesn't belong in team sports. You know, it just does not. If you're a tennis guy, if if you were a golfer, you know, you know, maybe if you ran track, you know, a track athlete or so, you know, an individual sport guy. But in a team environment, man, the team comes first. And, and, and I know he is, uh, from all accounts, a solid teammate from, from what I can understand. But when you go upstairs and you have your meeting, and you know what I'm saying, and you, and you are, you know, there for that duration of time, Drew, it's just, it's just, it's just ugly. You just can't. I would never allow, I would never allow that to happen. I, I mean, listen, man, you got, you got a beautiful home here in Denver. If you want, all of those people, your staff and everything to be part of your moment. You get up earlier, you know, you work with them, and then when you get home, you work with them. But to do it in a facility where nobody else has that that, that uh, feature is it's not right. Yeah, you know, by all accounts, he's you know he's a, he's a great guy. I, I appreciate how positive he is. He's had a hell of a career. But I will, <laughs> but I'll say this, Al, and I'm and I'm sure you felt the same way. I was like, please don't come to the podium and say let's ride Bron, you know, let's ride Broncos country when they were like you know two and two and five or whatever the record was. Read the room, man. Please don't do that. Well, I think we're done with that. I think he did do it after the Jacksonville game in London, but I thought uh, that was. Uh, I don't know, kind of a middle finger to the members of the media who told him to stop saying it. And when they won, I think he thought, okay, they turned it around and here we go. And they're 0-2 since that trip to London. So um, as it stands right now, um, you know, the let's ride mantra just, just didn't stick. Yeah. Hey, listen, before I let you get on out of here, and I appreciate the time greatly, um, did you always did you always have a – an eye toward getting into broadcasting, the media, talk shows. Where did that come from? When did when did it begin? You know, I, I was doing uh, uh, with the Masters. I was doing Rick Lewis and um, Floor Wax when I was playing with the Broncos, and I, I, I liked the segments that I did with them, but I never really considered it. I I fancied myself as a tech guy, so when I finished football. Um, we got this huge investment, and I started a data center, and I thought I was going to be in technology for the rest of my days. And then, um, you know, we had a, we had a, a meltdown, and that kind of pushed me into a new direction, and I got into radio. Uh, just that's something to do just to, quite quite honestly, just so I wouldn't get drunk all day. <laughs> you sit at home, you're retired, you know, what else are you doing? You know, I'm like, I'm, I just, I, you know, I'm not going to, 
just waste my days, you know. So I started uh, doing this show with Scott Hastings from 11 to 1, which is perfect, which means that, you know, if I wanted to have a cocktail, I couldn't do it till after 1, you know, which was great. Uh because when you don't have any motivation, you know, and this is this is some this is some shit that nobody ever talks about. Like, you know, when you are young and you have money and you don't have a job, that's probably when problems are gonna come. That's probably when problems are gonna start. You know, because what else are you doing with your life? Like, what once you retired at thirty one or thirty two, what else are you doing, Drew? I mean, what do you, what do you at thirty one? Think about it, man. When I was twenty, when I was twenty-three, I was the youngest homeowner in my neighborhood. Uh, when I was thirty-one, I was the youngest retired guy that I knew. So, well, what am I doing? I'm waiting for my friends to get off at five o'clock. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 a crazy it's a crazy existence that you don't get training on. You don't get any training on this stuff. You know, you don't you don't. You know, you you just don't get any training on how to quit it, you know. And so uh, I went through a deep, dark uh, area of depression where I just didn't know what the hell was going on. And I was just like, you know, uh, you know fuck it. I'll just, whenever I feel like having a drink, I'll have it right now. And then I just, you know, radio kind of saved my life. You know, I never told this story before, but I think it kind of saved my life because I was going down a dark, lonely path and, I, I would look forward to my my time at eleven o'clock to to refocus and bring some energy and and some thought to some sports uh, conversations that probably hadn't been had. So that was my whole outlook on um, getting into sports is just you know give me something to do to break up my day. And then you know it became this love affair. Now now I just I think about it all day. And when you when you are in this business, like you know. You do this all day, every day. It's not, you know, you don't wake up and look at uh, the news, uh, the sporting news of the day. You think about it before you go to sleep. And when you wake up, you just want to confirm that, you know, the game that you may have fell asleep on last night finished finish the way that it did. You want to make sure that, you know, there's no news, there's no news sports stories from, you know, roughly around 1 a.m. until 10 a.m. the next day. So that's just a lot of research time that I get to use. And, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm pretty happy um, that I have that, man, because I'm telling you it was – I could do it now because more of my friends are retiring. Uh, I can I could, I could stop and I could probably figure out who I am. But at 31, man, I was a, I was a hot mess, man. I cannot believe I've been doing this now for 23 years. Yeah, and you've been doing it well. And, and Alfred, I, you know what? I appreciate how candid um, you are about this subject because I have often said um, folks like you um, or, or, or people who make a lot of money, let's say, in industry, but particularly with athletes, you, know, you have this unbelievable career. Even, even let's talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady has, you know, he's probably a billionaire by now, right? And Tom Brady's playing at 45, which nobody's ever seen short of like a George Blanda. Do you know what? When he shuts it down, let's say he shuts it down after this year, you can appreciate this better than anyone. He's a very wealthy 45-year-old. Guess what? You can only play so much golf. You can only play so much poker with the boys, right? You got to have a purpose when you when you get up at seven thirty or eight in the morning, whenever it is. You got to have a purpose. There's more miserable rich guys out there 
than people realize. I think people who don't have a lot of money think, oh man, that'd be great. Oh, Alfred got to retire at 31. Now what, man? You still gotta, you gotta have a purpose every day. You said it best. And I'll tell you this, man. If, um, you know, they're, they're gonna be a lot of heartbroken athletes uh, when they retire. Man, I'm telling you, Drew, man, there was, there was uh, a stretch there for like two or three years, man. It was, I was, I was done, just done. Mentally, just, uh, I don't know, it was CTE, just deep, dark depression. I, I couldn't get on airplanes. I became claustrophobic. I created these, uh, these, these enemies out of, out of behind a, a cloak veil somewhere. I mean, I, listen, man, my mind just went, I went, it went nuts, man. And I had my first panic attack on the surgery table when I was, um, I played in my last game on November, uh, no, on October 31st of 1999, and I had surgery on my birthday on November 6th of 1999 to repair my Achilles. And I gotta tell you, I had a panic attack that started then, and it stayed with me for some 15 years. And I'm telling you, man, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about playing that game, but you will not leave it the same way you came in. Yeah. And I know, I know. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I know some of your kids played. Do you, are you okay? Every other year. Every other year. Every that's right. I remember you telling me that you wouldn't let them have con, you know the physical contact every year. And I've talked to more guys like yourself who made a living playing football, and and you probably know more than I do certainly that. They're like, nope, they're going to play tennis or golf or baseball or, or hoops, whatever it is, but they're not playing football. Yeah, and uh, I've softened on that stance uh, now that I have a grandson. Um, but, you know, my son, who knows me as well as anybody, uh, my oldest son, Dominique, he understands my philosophy and he agrees with me that, you know, kids shouldn't play uh, tackle football until maybe they're in the eighth grade, maybe in the eighth grade, but preferably, uh, you know, a start date as a ninth grader because you can get all the skill sets that you need, uh, before you have to put pads on, you know, and you still want the kids to love the game. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that you need to bang on, um, bang on each other at that young age. I didn't I didn't play tackle football until I was in the ninth grade. I was in the marching band. So, you know, so when people tell me that you have this is the way it goes, this that's not the way it goes. That's you know, I've I've met so many people who started in high school and played years in the NFL. If you can play, you can play. And you'll figure it out. You don't need pads to help complicate a complicated game. Yeah. That's that's interesting. And you know, Alfred, it's um, you, you've made the transition. Um, you, you sound great. I was listening to you yesterday, um, and you still have, dude, the most infectious laugh of uh, of anybody uh, that I know. I mean, when you, I was, you started laughing at something yesterday, and I'm driving down the road by myself, and I'm laughing. So if anybody <laughs> saw me yesterday and they looked next, and they're going, "Why is he laughing? He must be crazy." Oh man, I tell you what, man, I've heard that statement, man. It's, 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 it's the only laugh I know, you know. <laughs> so man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for our friendship, man. We've been, we've been friends a, a long time, man. You and, 
I remember you and Dave laughing, uh, just rolling into the stadium to call games back when I was at the University of Colorado, and those friendships have lasted, you know, decades, man. I still talk to Dave, and, and I still talk to you, and, and I love chiming in during the baseball season. During the game, I'm texting you, and you texting me back, man. It's Still pretty damn cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I'll, so I'm going to let a little secret out because about once a year, Big Al will call me. And it'll be, you did this, I think it was this year or the year before. You called me, it's like, you knew I'm up. So it's like 11 something at night. And you're like, what's wrong with our club right now? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. So I don't, you know what? And, and so I, I think I know. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to the the bra. And, and I tell you what, Drew, baseball is beautiful. Now you talking about? See, I have poor vision. If I had great vision, I would have loved to have played baseball. But this is what I've learned about athletes, and this is something that's not talked about a lot. Those that have great vision have a better chance to be a better athlete because they see things and things are moving quicker, right? And and I talked to. Uh, Good friend of mine, Todd Helton, man, we were out playing golf one day, and, of course, I'm hitting the ball. I'm not recognizing where it's going. And I said, I said Todd, can you see that? He said, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like 275 yards down on the right just off the fairway. I said, what's your vision? <laughs> yep. It was like, like 2010 or 2015 or something like that. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me, man. And so if I could have – had that good vision, man. I would have loved to have played baseball, but I, was, I learned early on when I was playing that I didn't, I couldn't see the ball. I couldn't see the ball, man. But I love going to the park and I love listening to your broadcast. Well, I, I appreciate that, and it's so funny when you, real quick, when you mentioned before you Helton came out of your mouth, that's the first guy I thought of because he had, you're right, like 2010 vision and. So he's identifying a pitch, you know, a couple feet sooner than most normal people are able to identify spin and 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 location, et cetera. So there, there's definitely something to that. By the way, man, you could have been Aaron Judge before Aaron Judge, because <laughs> if I could see the ball, <laughs> right? That's so, all those little things, just seeing it, right? Small factors, no small factors. <laughs> Hey, hey, Al, you're the best. Hey, hang on one sec before uh, we wrap this up. I got, I got to shout at you real quick, but um, I, I really appreciate the time, continued success, and everything you do, and, and keep them laughing, brother. Love you, bro. You too, man. Love you. Man, I really enjoyed my conversation with Alfred. As I told you last week, you know, we we set this up, and and we, and, you know, we. <laughs> In simplest forms, you push play record and you start bullshitting. And, and next thing you know, Alfred and I have been on, uh, you know, conversing for over an hour, which required it to be two parts. But um, such a good man, somebody I really enjoy being around. Don't see him as much now, especially uh, since we're not under the same roof at 104.3 The Fan as we were for a few years uh, back several years ago. But Alfred continues to do great work at uh, at KOA. And uh, you learned, as I said, you would a little bit more about uh, Alfred. So big thanks again to Big Al. That'll do it for this edition of the Drew Goodman podcast. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We appreciate you. Can't believe it's December 
already. We'll keep you updated on uh, what's transpiring up in Boulder and other topics as well. Go Team USA! Hopefully next week we're talking about them having uh, beaten the Netherlands and moving uh, to the quarterfinal round. Wouldn't that be something? All right, man. Enjoy. Take care. Get that Christmas shopping, Hanukkah shopping done. We'll talk soon.